Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves in this world today. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome you to Wow, What a Show. This is the live podcast outreach of Rehoboth Institute of the Arts. And uh, we are so glad that all of you have decided to come. And I am so pleased that with me, our host for the evening, I am Phyllis, the uh, host normally, but we have a special series going and it is called, excuse me, Day by Day, uh, the voice of the artist, right? Or the artist as witness. And our host, our lead is Miss Anna Kane. And Ms. Anna is here. Good evening, Anna. Good evening, Phyllis. <laughs> you are, we're a bit early. You know, I get to start because it's the only way that I can yes. make um, an invitation to many people. So we come in yes. just a bit early, right? And um, we'll just kind of give folks a little bit of time to come in. So you may greet this audience in any way you like. It will be, of course, on the recording, uploaded to our regular series, the main page for Rehoboth Institute. Go right ahead. Okay, well, good evening. And it is a pleasure again to be here. And important thing I'd say uh, to the listening audience is just, you know, what a wonder that we get to participate and that God has called us. Lord, I say that I am yours and that I can know what I do know because there's so much we don't know mm-hmm. is a gift. You know, it's a gift from God, ladies and gentlemen. It's a gift. I did not choose myself. I didn't know to choose myself. We were born invulnerable and we learned of God. And the Bible reminds us that our ability to believe in him, faith, the Holy Spirit himself gives understanding. He opens the eyes of our understanding, the Bible says. Reminds us that we were dead in trespasses and sin. What is that? So the ability to come and to talk of the Lord when there are many people who don't really believe and even those who have known the word of God, sometimes they struggle and they come to a place where they question it. They're wondering, you know, why, what, what, what is the conclusion really? Why is my faith not like another seems to be? You know, the reality is that we're so blessed to be here tonight. We're so blessed to have faith. And though the world may mock us and say, your faith is just a crutch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need it like a pacifier or it just comforts you. And you can't always convince them that your own experience is testimony enough. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got to delve deep. We've got to be apologists. We've got to have facts and figures. We've got to show that we've got to do all these things because of the lust of the flesh Mm. (laughs) and the pride of life. But for some of us, we're so grateful that we believe the simple thing. And we say, Lord Jesus, even if I don't know how the stars 
stand in the sky, something in me that you've given me causes me to believe and I know it's true. And when I'm struggling, when I'm struggling, somehow I still know it's true. And if I've ever turned away or thought away or just tried to be a little complacent, I don't know why the conviction comes. I know it's a reality. I don't know why I turn my face back to you, but I know it's a reality. And any man who can deny his own reality is a man in need. He's a lost man. Hmm. So tonight, I think I just start off pretty humbled, feeling again inadequate, but really thankful that perhaps the Lord Jesus will speak something to somebody and use as he always has, whatever he so chooses and pleases to reveal himself to the world. And we're just privileged, right, Phyllis? To even be able to say anything and to have technology recorded that perhaps it may be a blessing to a life that may see God one day. So we, I start off by just greeting us and reminding us that we are... We are the chosen ones. And what a what a great privilege. So mm. thank you for inviting me. Amen. I thank you for coming because um, what happens, what you've just said, uh, is just a part of our infallible nature, right? Uh, or our fallible nature. I'm sorry. We're not infallible. We're we are fat. We are people who make mistakes, <laughs> and in that, we see from the Bible record, we're not perfect. We are reckoned to be totally worthy of eternal life with God when we first enter His kingdom, and from that point on, through the Spirit of God. He brings us into the place where he's already set us. In Ephesians, we are uh, told, we are taught that we are seated in heavenly places. And yet, in the uh, last three, uh, four, five, six chapters of that book, we are reminded of how we should walk while we are in the earth, which means that we are walking steadily towards the um, toward, towards the salvation that we have uh, received. So, Anna, I just appreciate what you're saying there, but no matter how good we may get, <laughs> we always have still miles to go in the kingdom. And he uses those people who submit to him and understand their need because we are in repentance. We are always in prayer. We're always asking and seeking the Lord to guide us. I appreciate your words there. Okay. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And what I'd like to do tonight is just to do what Steve Brown used to say, just dig right in. But I would like to start with a prayer. God, I thank you again tonight that you have been so gracious to us. It has been said that you are the epitome of graciousness 
And so we don't have to pray for it, but I'm reminded that Lord Jesus, I'll, I'll pray that your favor, which includes your gracious heart toward me, be upon me every time I can remember that as, as we take even your communion, you tell us to remember you. And tonight somehow my heart just cries out and I remember you, Lord, I on purpose want to bring you into the center of my attention. I do pray tonight, Lord Jesus, uh, this thesis that you uh, so wonderfully helped me complete some years ago, would you use it as a tool, Lord God, that we might learn of you more, that we would be reminded again of you more, that we would be sanctified continually, we would recognize ourselves, Lord, in the place of our need. And so I thank you, Lord Jesus, and just again ask that you would be so gracious to us in this way tonight. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Tonight, we are going to embark again on a journey. I'm taking you into a novel mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or, or a discussion about a novel that was dear to me and still is. The author is Charlotte Bronte. The work is Jane Eyre. The thesis is cultivation of character in Bronte's Jane Eyre. And tonight I'm going to move from the experience of Jane as a rejected child, and I'm going to move beyond her school days at Lowood, and we're going to walk into her experience as an adult. She becomes a governess, and it is at this place, at a place called Thornfield, where Jane walks into a temptation. And the title of my thesis chapter four was, In This Temptation, The Question of Loving. Now, I will not deal so much with the romance between this character and the infamous Rochester because again, the world has done a good job at highlighting the romance of the novel. Mm -hmm. But what it doesn't do, probably deliberately, is deal with the temptation. It doesn't deal with the aspect of Jane's growth that reveals the God in her. And so tonight, I'd love to read a bit for you and we're going to look at some scriptures that support Jane's challenge, this challenge that she finds herself in and the resolve that she comes to and resisting the man she's come to love, Rochester. And we're going to look into our own solitary situations. What are our solitary situations, those that require resistance and require action, I'm going to ask us to be intentional. That's a word I started using in the past several years, and I like it. Be intentional. And let's be intentional in trusting God at the interior level of our lives, which I know this audience probably does already, but sometimes it goes a little bit deeper. 
right into the places where no man could ever see. Thank God for the skin we wear <laughs> and the expressions he gives us because there's always that interior mm -hmm. that only he can see. And let's ask the Lord to help us walk an acceptable path. And that means whatever path you're walking that I cannot see. Sometimes that path, Lord, is obvious. And Lord, sometimes the path is not so obvious. So let's begin. And the ultimate analysis, Jane's interior conflict in this story is based upon the choice she must make between her love for this man, Rochester, and her duty to God. She partly rejects a proposition that Rochester gives her to be his mistress because, quote, where a man has no sense of moral value in himself, we are not likely to have any higher esteem of him. So let me stop here and say, audience, if you have not read and if you're not familiar, Jane works for this gentleman. He's a rich, wealthy, uh, high society gentleman. But the problem she encounters after many conversations, lots of experience, and the fact that she's met somebody who has an intellectual mind that stimulates her, she finds out that he is married, but he has deceived her. It's not that she knew he was married because he's hiding his wife in his house, in his mansion. She is a woman who suffers from a mental illness. And so he's hired someone to keep her. And Jane finds this out, uh, but she doesn't find it out because he's forthcoming. She finds it out in a way that he has just been exposed. And so she finds herself at a crossroads. She must make a decision about what she's learned. But the problem is that in the midst of learning the truth, he presents her with a proposition and he wants her to stay and be his even under the circumstances. And so she will have to make this decision and she considers her own value as a reason to give up the acceptance and the companionship that she has now come to realize. The notion of keeping her duty toward God is her strong impetus. Rules, it has been said, don't originally determine, okay, approval. Now listen to this. Rules don't determine approval, nor do they determine condemnation of particular actions. But the rules grow out of our approval or our condemnation, condemnation excuse me, of a particular action. So Jane is forced to decide for herself whether she will approve or condemn the adulterous relationship. Governing, self, governing herself without compromise is now paramount. Once arrived at the rules, adherence to which is properly called her sense of duty, this becomes a principle of the greatest consequence in human life. The principles of duty being, for Jane, the human echo of the divine command. So Jane is looking here at not whether or not she should follow the rules and the propriety of the day, but it is because of her own approval or condemnation of this particular action 
that she must employ a following of rules. Bronte doesn't give Jane much time to waste for contemplating her decision after the discovery of Rochester's marriage. The resolve that there must be separation under the circumstances is quickly arrived at. She says, I must go. That I perceive well. This is the thought that she has after discovering his betrayal. And when asking herself what to do, her mind answers, I will leave Thornfield at once. But audience, the inner conflict rises to the surface at once and it rises without mercy. It says, that is my woe. This is a horror. I could not bear, I could not master. But that I must leave him decidedly, instantly, entirely? This is intolerable. I can not do it. But then a force within me decidedly, um, excuse me, a force within me averred that I could do it and foretold that I should do it. I wrestled with my own resolution. I wanted to be weak, that I would avoid the awful passage of further suffering. I saw laid out for me, and I, my conscience turned tyrant, held passion by the throat, and told her tauntingly that she had yet dipped her dainty foot in the slaw, and swore that, with arm of iron, he would thrust her down to unsounded depths of agony. Let me be torn away then, she cried. Let another help me. No, she says, you tear yourself away. None will help you. You shall yourself pluck out your right eye. You shall yourself cut off your right hand. Your heart shall be the victim and you the priest to transfix it. So she says, or we're going to, and I'm going to take a leap of faith here and say, maybe the Holy Spirit says <laughs> to our character, you remove yourself. Mm-hmm. And the, I love the language. The priest, you be the victim and the priest will be the one to transfix it. Meaning the priest will be the one as in the priestly service to pierce, to grip, to stop it, to kill it as if he were sacrificing an animal. Jane will sacrifice herself. Now, if you're asking yourself, boy, that's pretty weighty language already. (laughs) It is weighty language. And one of the reasons I like the Victorian uh, literature is because sometimes it is a lot weightier than some of our lighter conversations with some, not all American literature. But nonetheless, this is a moment of desperation. And tonight, my goal, my, my focus, excuse me, is to focus in on temptation. And I went right into the portion of the text that presents temptation in light of loving, because that's something that resonates with all of us. Many of us, if not all of us, have been tempted in the area of relationship. And if you were like Jane, and you had already experienced a rejection, you had already been the one who was, uh, you know, put by the wayside, if you were already the one who was never invited in, and you find a place of company, and you, you, you've been accepted, 
and 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 you you know you have companionship it would be very difficult to give that up or it is very difficult to give that up and so this is not just though it is just but it's not just your everyday scenario but it is a common scenario and i thought that highlighting this aspect of the text would be good because temptation whether it's relational or not it has a grip and it has a hold luke 18 says the things which are impossible with men are possible with god and in this context jane and i dare say like many of us says i cannot do this she sees what has happened she understands the truth and even in light of that she does not want to turn away she says i cannot do it and i submit to you that sometimes even when we know the truth it's as if we cannot walk in the light by our own strength but luke says what's impossible with men is possible with God and so it is the Lord who will have to come and give her that resolve and to strengthen her Philippians 4:13, we're familiar with it says I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me and so I imagine that Bronte in writing this understood the scriptures enough to almost it because if you've read any of her other works she always seems to you know juxtapose the 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 the, the challenge <laughs> of the her main character with something that's supported in scripture this doesn't just happen in this text and so i'm thinking the the writer because again this is partly autobiographical imposes what she knows will deliver her character in the interior of the character and so she can find her way out of the problem and so here we've got i cannot do it i want it to be weak but she's going to turn around and resist it psalms 141 is a good psalm to look at it says incline not mine heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity and let me not eat of their dainties now here we see rochester and i know everyone may not see it as clearly as some of us but what he was offering her was a place at his table i think that place was offered to daniel and daniel said no i'll eat a meager diet I will not fatten myself up and forget who I am at the king's table. And God shined his light and favor upon Daniel. So when Rochester presents her with his life, his love, his dainties, and he asks her to forget the truth, she has to say no. And what does Bronte know? I believe that Bronte somewhere knew that her character could not incline her heart to this. She could not practice the wicked work. She could not eat of his dainties. When we move on, Rochester's deception 
is not her heaviest weight. She says, I forgave him at the moment and on the spot, I forgave him all. Again, this is a man who in his own world has suffered. His wife is insane. He's been living alone, lives a very singular life. He has the secret that no one knows. So in a sense, he's got his own suffering. But she says, you know, I forgave him. Okay. She forgave. He is, her heart says, what I reverence, what I delight in. Her greatest problem is leaving him forever for good and thus severing her tender ties with the man she loves wholeheartedly. Yet rule, principle, and divine command trample any notion that Jane can consciously ignore Rochester's living with his wife, Bertha. The discovery of her madness doesn't lessen the significance of Bertha's existence for Jane. Bertha suppresses any legitimacy to Jane and Rochester's union. So she realizes I cannot really be with him. And if she continues to exist, I cannot. Bertha's existence further designates Rochester's ongoing dishonesty and impropriety that Jane cannot in good conscience condone nor participate in. In response to duty, Jane relinquishes her claim to him who she absolutely worshiped, the text says, and she renounces her love and renounces, get this word, her idol. Now, the, the funny thing about this is that oh, we have learned, we've, we've been taught, if you didn't get it from the Ten Commandments, somebody pointed it out to you, that we're not to worship idols. And it is not an uncommon thing during this time period to use a word like adore or worship, you know, or in response to a woman's sort of commitment to her husband, for instance, uh, calling him Lord or master of the house. It wasn't to be irreverent to God. But anytime we can confess that something is idolized, we can understand that it begins to take precedence over the union we have with God. And this is what she recognizes. And this is what she's willing to relinquish. After listening to Rochester's recollection of his past loves, and that's another issue. This man had been a man uh, who was... Um, loose in his living when he didn't know her he had had many mistresses and so he had not only lived in solitary <laughs> confinement with his mentally ill wife he had when he would travel indulged himself and that was problematic she says if i were to forget myself and all the teaching that had ever been instilled into me as under any pretext, with any justification, through any temptation to become the successor of these poor girls, he would one day regard me with the same feeling, which now in his mind desecrated their memory. I did not give utterance to this conviction. I impressed it on my heart that it might remain there to serve me as aid in time of trial. So she's remembering, listen, this is what he has done. And who am I to think I won't fall in line and become in the same status of these other women? So she seeks no other advice but her own. And she 
has only one encouraging lifeline for her aid. She says, a remembrance of God. This is the only lifeline she has to aid her, and that's her remembrance of God. While he spoke, my very conscience and reason turned traitors against me, she says, and charged me with a crime in resisting him. They spoke, they spoke, excuse me, almost as loud as feeling, and that clamored wildly. Oh, comply, it said to her. Think of his misery. Think of his danger. Look at his state when left alone. Save him. Love him. Tell him you love him and will be his. Who in the world cares for you, Jane? Or who will be injured by what you do, Jane? Hmm. Still, she replied to herself, I care for myself. The more solitary, the more friendless, the more unsustained I am, the more I will respect myself. I will keep the law given by God, sanctioned by man. I will hold to the principles received by me when I was sane and not mad as I am now. So Jane is going to what? She's going to remember herself and she's going to use her own respect for herself to comply with what she feels is the will of God. Let's look at Psalm 119, 11. Psalm 119, 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And when I think about temptation and I think about what's going on in this character and I know we have an abbreviated sort of approach to presenting her to you. But when I think about that and, and the writer, I, you know, this, I say, Lord, we have so much of your word. Have we hid it in our heart that we might not sin against you? And, and that's one of my admonishments tonight to us all, that we would hide the word in our heart that we might not sin against him. And that is sometimes an easier thing done um, either easier said than done. We read the word. We know the word. Uh, I believe I learned uh, many years ago. We have a mental ascent <laughs> to um, things of the Lord. Um, but sometimes, I guess it's uh, similar to quenching the spirit, perhaps, that we don't use it enough. It's not weighty enough that we might not sin against him. It's a scary thing, everyone. And then even talking about temptation, because I know it comes in all forms. It doesn't just come in this form. And we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, how deep that can go. But I, I just say, Lord, I, I don't know how to stand before you. Your word, I say, or oh, I endeavor to hide in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so the question arises, why do I sin against you? 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee fornication. Now, in this context, that's exactly what she's trying to do because without you really hearing it, Jane is confessing that if she stays, she will sin. And so she's resisting her flesh in order to avoid something that would happen, the invitation that he's given to her. Now, thus far, that has not been the problem. And if she stayed on as governess, which he ends up sending the daughter away, but if he, she stayed on in any other context, 
if she had another context, maybe she could, uh, maybe she wouldn't, but she could, but it's the invitation that she's resisting. So flee fornication, 1 Corinthians says, every sin that a man does without the body, okay? Every, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I tell you what, if we could say that more to many people we know, and I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is the younger person, because when I went to school in New Jersey, I'm sure my mom and dad didn't know the types of conversations I heard at the school table. <laughs> and I say to myself, wow, you know, I used to really actually wonder why those girls in middle school, how they knew what they knew. Um, but maybe if they had known, and maybe if all of us would know earlier that the sins we commit, okay, are often outside the body, but that fornication is the one thing we commit in which we sin against our own bodies. Corinthians goes on to say, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? And that is for the professor of faith, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so this is a scripture that I think about for the, the writer, for Bronte. This is what I believe she knew. And again, if you read enough of her works, you always tend to feel that she's imposing her understanding of the scriptures into the resolves of her character. So let's move on and we were going to wrap up some of the reading and we'll talk about the scripture. She, Jane, possesses the fortitude to resist Rochester's coercion. Jane is resolved not to compromise her impulses, not reason enough to sacrifice who she is for temporary heaven. Now, we ask, is there growth in this woman at this juncture? Is there transformation enough to move her to a level that is stronger, wiser, higher? Or is Jane merely a young governess dramatically responding to her grief? To answer that she is the same person as she once was is to forget that her once imaginary tale with life, fire, and feeling is now becoming a reality to her. The stagnation of her world is now gone. And she has an active, practical experience with someone who is her kind. This is Rochester. She now has life, ladies and gentlemen. She has an active, practical experience. She is now living. Yet she is compelled by divine and self-government to relinquish it all. So she's finally come to a place where she belongs. And what has presented itself to her? is causing her to have to give it up. Jane exhibits courage and opposing attempts to shatter her integrity. She goes on to suggest that, uh, and this is a quote, uh, it is suggested that Jane upholds morality as she leaves Rochester, <laughs> putting principle, okay, above her, or putting principle ahead of her own desire. 
it's pointed out that Jane resists Rochester's lack of discrimination, uh, his pride. She rejects him. She uh, refuses to play the role of his savior. As she had rejected angelic influence over him, Jane rejects liability for his return to lust and vice. Now, let me say this, though I know you cannot be reading what I'm reading. I want to point this out. In the text, what Rochester does that is very effective, probably in real life, is that he uses Jane, he tries to use her as what would save him from his situation. And I dare say many a people, maybe many a men, maybe women, but certainly men will use that tactic, that approach to try to ensnare us. How can I do this without you? Can't you see the good that we have? Um, you know, I anything to make you feel as though you become the quote-unquote savior of their soul. This, too, is a temptation. This is probably a stronger grip than just looking at the situation and determining whether you should walk away. What if you think you're needed? What if you think you have an answer? What is that as a Christian, we think we can help someone? What if we think we have enough power? I dare not say that the Lord does not do things in the way that he will do them in individual situations, but in a general sense, we can't do that. It is another type of temptation. It is a tactic and it ought to be recognized for what it is. So in making her feel guilty, he tries to, again, ensnare her. He is not the one who has understanding at this point. Only Jane does. She maintains her self-respect and determines her sphere of responsibility in regards to loving him. If she complies with him, she defeats her own ambition toward her own autonomy. Ultimately, she rejects her own self-respect. If she sees herself as accountable for his ensuing licentiousness, she makes herself slave to his power. Jane is experiencing an evolving personal growth as she demonstrates careful monitoring of her actions and her intentions. She allows reason and restraint to help her resist temptation. She has now had experience with love, with its pleasures, and with its strains. Her growing personal maturity and stability are evident now that she chooses both herself and Rochester, the path of uncompromising integrity. And she ends with, laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. They are for such moments as this, when body and soul rise in mutiny against their rigor. Stringent are they, inviolate they shall be. If at my individual convenience I might break those laws, what would be their worth? They have a worth, so I have always believed, and I cannot believe it now. 
it is because I am insane. If I cannot believe it now, it's because I am insane, quite insane, with my veins running fire and my heart beating faster than I can count its throbs. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that there is no temptation that has taken us, but is such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer us to be tempted above what we are able. But he will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that we may be able to bear it. I say this because when I was writing this work and, and, and studying this, not only in my coursework, but afterward, you know, I, I always love that part of the story, that there was a way that she was able to escape. And it sounds like she's pulling herself up by her own bootstraps. It sounds like she's got her own autonomy. It sounds like it's all Jane. But it's only after knowing who wrote the story <laughs> that you see that she is trying to highlight the impact of God in the life of an individual and how he informs their ultimate decisions. He informs their desire in, the, in, the, in the, the face of their weakness. And so that gives us strength. It is God himself who informs their morality because quite frank, you can be a moral minded person and have no need or care for God. It is possible to be quote unquote good acting and even good intentioned and have no God in your life and reject him. So I always loved that, that what the writer, if you read all the novel, if it comes to you, what she tried to show informed Jane's interior. And ultimately that would win. Even though lots of other people look at Jane in the light of a sort of a, a they, they look at her in the feminist, through the feminist lens. But I don't think that's how the author intended her to be viewed. Nonetheless, I, I took some time to just read a little bit and be able to go back through some of the text. But really, it was in an effort to highlight the issue of temptation. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. What does that mean, right? What does it mean to walk in the spirit? Well, I'm not going to claim to have the best message on it because I've heard of some good ones. <laughs> but I do know what it is not. It is definitely not walking after my own mind. I've got to ask the Lord, what do you see? What, it, what have you given me, God, with your Holy Spirit? When I put my faith in you and you gave me that gift, Lord God, that miracle new life, that new birth, am I hearing your voice in the new birth? Am I walking in the Spirit? Meaning, am I walking in the newness of life? And in that place is where I hear you, know you, have understanding of your word. Am I walking there when I'm making the decision? If I am, I won't want surely to fulfill 
the lusts of the flesh, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's relational, sometimes it's food, sometimes it's pride, sometimes it's assimilation into a culture at work, sometimes it's what my friends are doing, sometimes it's just anything contrary to obedience to my parents, obedience to what the word says. Sometimes it's a really secret type of sin that has its own little category not many people are thinking of right away. But the Bible says, if I walk in the spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, praise God for that. Where is the hope if for some reason we fulfill the lust of the flesh? The Bible goes on to say in John, if we say we have no sin at all, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. So if we confess our sins, which we have, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as much as the Lord and as much as well, I, the wonderful thing about this text is that Jane wins. <laughs> she wins. And I'm hoping we'll come back in a while and talk about a, a, a section of the, the story that, again, is not highlighted in the way that I love it. It was my favorite part is that her, her greater temptation had to do with the, the temptation um, that the enemy might present to us or a very, uh, you know, maybe even within our Christian walk, a well-intentioned person to take us out of the will of God wholly, but for reasons that seem good and godly. Um, and what does she do in that moment? But this one seemed to be an you know, one that I thought would resonate with us and whether or not you're, again, in a place where you have challenges in relationship, there's always a place where we're being tempted. And so what do we do? God has given us the power. He has given us the victory. He has given us the word. He's given us new life. And he says that we can overcome. But he also reminds us that you do have sin. In your heart don't deceive yourself and so he makes a way for us to escape he says that we can can come to him in light of our sin he says I write to you and Johnny goes on to say I write to you so you will not sin but if you sin you have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous one because as much as he has given us his righteousness Jesus is the righteous one. He is the holy and pure one. God is always going to call us to follow him. God is always going to call us to be like him. But he's going to say, I know holy you are not. So even in the new birth, you will wrestle. So you've got the advocate. You've got my son. He is the righteous one. So tonight, I just wanted to... Again, it, and I, I think I, uh, one of my, uh, the words I like to use is, you know, how can this practically apply to me? How can I take this portion of a novel and it be used by God to help me or inform my thinking? Well, I, I'd say, you know, this is just a, a temptation common to man. It is. This is something we understand whether we suffer with this temptation or not at this moment in time. We understand what's happening here. 
but can we be like Jane? And when I re finished reading the novel, I remember the first time I go, oh, I kind of want to be like her. <laughs> I didn't think I was not like her, but I wasn't sure I was like her. And I just thought that would be a wonderful thing. And there have been times in our lives where we've probably thought, you know, I'm, I'm acting like Daniel today, or I'm, boy, you know, that was a very hard thing. Um, you know, I don't know if I've ever said I was Abraham and was able to <clears throat> lift my child up for a sacrifice, not literally, you know, but even figuratively. But, you know, you feel like you're walking down the right path. You're doing the right thing. And other times you say, Lord, this is difficult. Why was that not so difficult and this is difficult? Why am I weak here and I'm strong in other places? In this temptation. The, that is the name of a poem written by my auntie. And it's a very powerful poem. And I should have been prepared to read it to you tonight. Maybe I will try to share that one day. But the Bible has so much to say to remind us that we will be tempted. And I, I just pray tonight that practically speaking, God will be able to say to you, um, you know, much like the author said to her character, <laughs> you will be delivered from this. We'll be reminded that we can be delivered, that we don't have to be slaves to sin. I think it's Roman that says that, you know, when we talk about what God has called us to be, but it, it talks about what God has not called us to be, and that is a slave to sin. And it's very arresting. And I, I want to say, you know, my challenge tonight is right there in the interior. God speaks to me and I, I like to pray to him about everything. <laughs> so even the little teeny weeny places, right? That in the big scheme of things, nobody would ever see. But one day, and I say it almost like I don't want to say it. Maybe you felt this way. I will have to see him. But you know what? Even more importantly, right now, today, he sees me. And, you know, my consolation is, God, even when your man, David, sinned, you, 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 you let us know that he was the man after your own heart. You let us know through your word that so as a man thinks he is. And so sometimes I go, God, but you, you know what I'm thinking. May it be so that you know I am yours. But if I am doing, thinking, saying, in, you know, intending things that are out of the way, how shameful I feel. I, 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 again, I don't know if it's age or it's experience or what, but I sort of tremble sometimes. And I have to say, God, forgive me. I have to say, Lord, your word says you are faithful and just to forgive me my sin. And it's not necessarily a sin anybody can see. But the Bible says in James, if I know to do good and I do not do it for me, it is sin. He didn't even call it a name. He said, for him who knows to do good, whatever that is in your life tonight, and we do not do it. To him, he said, it is sin. Not to your neighbor. For you, it's to you. 
So tonight I pray, Lord, that I, I don't think I've done the best job, but I've tried to introduce just the challenge in a character. But I know it was in the mind of a woman, this challenge. And I know that it can represent all types of temptation. The lure of Rochester at that particular moment in time was uh, was overt, but it was crafty. And we haven't explored all of the conversation. And so it was difficult for Jane. In our lives, we have that same scenario going on at different times. Maybe we've already been through it and we we're here today to say, God, thank you for delivering me. God, thank you for letting me see. Maybe it hasn't come and we should be praying, Lord, in the moment where I find this temptation, God, strengthen me today that I might do well tomorrow. And I, God, I just, I pray that you would, you know, just show us ourselves. As hard as that is, it is the, the, the most merciful thing you do often is to show us who we are, convict us so that we would come and really ask you to make a change. Purify my heart, Lord God. Could we stand like the character and cut off our own right hand? Could we become victims? For the sake of following your way, your will for our lives. I don't know what to say sometimes, God, because I think often we are praying out of our own experience. But whatever this audience needs to hear in their own ear in regards to this subject, speak to them even tonight before they go to bed. Whatever the word is in their mind and heart that you will use to speak to them, let it come forth, Lord Jesus. Give us a thirst after you. And even if we fall prey to shame, glory be to your name that you have provided for us and that your love covers us. We pray in the name of our Savior. There's little to be added to such a thorough presentation, highlighting the tribulation that came to this character and the demonstration of God's promises when we are faithful to him and keep his word.
glory to God. Anna Cain, what can I say except to our God we give thanks and praise that he has endowed from time to time people of low degree to expound in his word, on his word, in such a way as to exalt him and show the beauty of his bounty towards us in the character Grande did an, an exceptional job in highlighting just those very scriptures that you have referenced and the poem written by um, Janice uh, she has a pseudonym and she really wants me to use it so I shall have to leave it right there. Um, the thing, the poem actually highlights what happens when we yield to temptation. How dark and how desperate we become. And probably all of us have had an experience with the opposite of this character. And have felt the extreme pain and the depths of the tribulation that came as a result of that. And like Anna said, we probably all have also experienced the um, victory in walking out of the temptation. And on or in either circumstance, we have all experienced the merciful love of God to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to deliver us from those things which capture us to disobedience. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to end... Um, tonight, Anna, you definitely step in uh, chapter 5 of the book of Romans. I'm going to read just the first couple of verses, starting at 1. He says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you, right, when you read God's word, each line each word is in and of itself so weighty that we really need to stop. I do and really contemplate, just think on what was just said. This is not the high point in the verse or those verses that shall be read, it seems, but this is a very high point. We have... Uh, been justified by faith there having been justified we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ and that being that death that reckons us to be worthy of that peace by whom also we have access access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope 
of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation also I mean, and not and not only in tri- tribulation, but also knowing that tribulations. Oh well, I'm reading it. I just think I think I'm going I'm blind for my own tears. <laughs> and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And we could go on and on, but that's, um, as you talked about, the, oh, you know, highlighted, exposed the struggle of the interior man as represented by chain. All of the words of the scripture that I just read shows us that that nothing is wasted when you come into God. He uses everything to bring us into the eternal hope and therefore we will uh, be at the seated at the Lamb's Supper and enjoy this eternal rest that he has prepared for us and always in his presence. I don't want to keep talking. I hope, thanks be to God, I, okay, (laughs) I'm reading now some of the comments. Anna, would you like to? Read comments. I, I, I do notice a new thing I see. It's, I guess, when you can send a a, a clap. (laughs) So I appreciate Mm -hmm. that light touch <laughs> the mm-hmm. clap and i think i probably think that's a, a clap like a, as unto the lord for sure if anything is said mm-hmm. that um you know speaks to the individual heart and mind I, I i would remind everybody that there are times when you come to a a talk or an event or anything you have to do and you may feel pretty good about it and then there are other times when you come and you say lord i Honestly, uh, the dependence on you is real. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if God has said anything, you know, just because his word was presented, you know, to any of us, you know, God be praised. And we definitely um, give him a hand clap. If I'm reading comments, Phyllis, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, these are just... You probably do a better better job <laughs> of doing that, but uh. okay, I've seen them as they've come through, and I just want to say that Reams uh, wrote one uh, when you were talking about Rochester's um, uh, devious the devious way he tried to entrap her mm-hmm. into this lifestyle from his own desperation, mm-hmm. I, and I, I'm so glad that you uh, that you really showed us how the human heart is really wicked you know but it's in blindness like mm-hmm. he he didn't real he he doesn't realize or he didn't realize in those moments what jane knew mm-hmm. he didn't realize in those moments what we know as we stand and look back on that mm-hmm. but he was definitely 
right then in the grip of a very wrong uh, assessment and a right. wrong uh, desire to solve his problem. And um, he used it. And I think the deception of, is definitely from the enemy mm-hmm. always, right? And the deception was that Jane could save him. She actually could fix this for him. Yes. And um, and Jane rightly discerned by the Holy Spirit, he by the evil one, she by the Holy Spirit, that it would come to no good. Isn't that something? Right. It yeah. is. And, and I, I say, I like that you pointed that out. Lots of people that we meet and it could have been you and I, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty convinced at mm-hmm. this point that I've probably been, uh, unfortunately, um, hmm. placed in that situation. Right. And I, I rock, uh-huh. right. It, sometimes we are the Rochester is what I was yeah. going to say. Sometimes I, in pure ignorance, you are, or sometimes in, in our waywardness, we are right. Uh, but if, if you meet somebody and it desperation, I think is the key in the desperation of any human being. Sometimes they will lure you in and invite you into the very thing that's totally contrary to, to what God would have you to do. So we do need to be mindful and pray for discernment. And I tell you, it is an easier thing to run immediately at the beginning on the front end than it is on the back end. So one thing I appreciate about the story is that again, this character runs on the front end at the beginning of this temptation is when she leaves because many of us try to depend on our own. (laughs) We depend on our own strength, our own little intelligence. I've got a plan. (laughs) I've got a plan. And so, um, yeah, but out of his desperation and in his pain and in his grief, and he too had found someone of his own quote unquote, quote unquote, kind. That's mm-hmm. what attracted them to one another. There was a camaraderie and a genuineness about what they had. That was good in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But in the context in which they found themselves, it could not be permitted. And so you, you have a sorrow for Rochester. And if you read the story, you know <laughs> what he mm-hmm. ends up going through and the way they were uh, beautifully reunited. But yeah, that, that, that is still, is it's still a warning. Yeah, it's a it's a great warning, and as you were explaining that, uh, I have I have a longing in me to um, reach young the teenagers of, of this, and and so you know that this is from the Lord because in my whole life I've never wanted to work with teenagers. I I find them to be a little bit um, different than I was as a teenager. I, I, I was still very uh respectful of of age i i know i was and yet i was um i probably heard them and 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 didn't hear them you know i probably built my own wall but i i liked being with older women uh, in particular because i admired them so much and i got great wisdom but i i didn't live it out always for young people to understand just what this has happened here in an age of promiscuity, in an age of um, uh, uh, moral standards. People don't live up to moral standards. Our society brings moral standards 
down to the trending uh, behaviors of the day. And so people are caught, young people are caught, they're entrapped, and there's so much sadness because the love they search out does not always last. It doesn't always play out like they want it to. And then children are born into um, you know, these situations. I just read a, an article by a student and in the article, he reveals the pain of separation of his parents in his early life. And um, the beat goes on. So if we could read this novel with young people and focus in on the hardships of life that Jane endured, on the friendship of a person who knew Christ her own age, in her own age frame, and how that impacted her life, and all the temptations after that, because Rochester was one temptation, but Sinjin was another, in my view. He was another to run away mm -hmm. from yourself mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to deny your own truth in mm -hmm. the face of your knowing God was such a temptation and how many of us might have yielded jane herself yielded and was the yielding. holy spirit spoke. <laughs> yeah she was yielding That's and right. it's a totally different scenario which is another thing i appreciate it's not mm. in line it's in a different context yes so it gives us an entirely different experience with um types of temptation so i love that it just doesn't you know go down the same road so right. it's, it's, it's a good read <laughs> One is obviously uh, not the righteous way, and the other seems to be the righteous way, but also is not the righteous way. You know, um, so, you know, Jane, uh, uh, Charlotte Bronte, I believe, was led by the Holy Spirit. There's no way that the character development and in, in, in all of these characters could be so absolutely demonstrative of the human condition and what happens when it is met with the um, conviction and the blessing of salvation and the Holy Spirit. I love this novel. And darlings, all of you, if you don't read the book, which I strongly suggest you do, but if you watch the film, you will get an insight into the superior writing of this novel um and and it's not so much in i guess maybe i don't know in the in the writing itself but it has to be it's in the story told and um i am very very much uh, a lover i i tell you i've watched probably every version of it more than once so all total i may have watched this series as it is presented i know maybe uh 20 times and i never tire of watching it may have watched it more anna kane another great night thank you so much for just letting the lord use you to highlight those parts of it and to undergird it with those scriptures to to give the foundation um that is so uh familiar to us and yet, probably, uh, to a lot of us, we've never had to uh, 
contemplate or think through or, you know, uh, reckon ourselves in certain situations where we have to, this, the, the word of God has to inform you. It has to show you. It has to guide. It has to be there for your deliverance. I love it too that no temptation, this temptation that we suffer, we think it's us and, you know, we're going through a little thing, but the Bible says this is, it's common to man. It's just what, what we go through. Everybody goes through it, right? Uh, but with the, uh, and I can't quote it because I'm getting it confused with the one about Jesus Christ. Um, he too suffered those temptations and was able to stand ultimately the mentor, ultimately the picture that we are striving to be and become. So who could say how mm -hmm. the Lord um, feeds us? Mm -hmm. He just knows. Every, every time we come together, I am, am at a loss to, um, sorry about that. I'm at a loss to come behind you, really, because I think you've done the, the best job. So uh, we have a few people who've joined us. Paul, uh, thank you for joining us tonight. We had another person, um, God is in the house, I think. It says God of Prince uh, entered the studio. And um, so we're grateful to all of you. And then there was a... Sharon came in. Um, there, Pastor Thomas, um, Reem's light touch. But there was another. Um, there was another name that I didn't get. It's PD. All uh, letters. But for all of you, uh, we are so grateful. Team came uh, that you've you've come and that we meet every Wednesday night at this time at eight o'clock. It is our usual time, so you can probably you will always find us at eight on Wednesday nights. There are times when we run a series and we actually will come on every day, <laughs> morning and night. We've done both of those and uh, we may be adding additional time uh, for a devotional, a short 15 minute, probably in the new year. We will start that in the uh, uh, new year and it would just be a quick, maybe five, 10, uh, 15 minute live cast every morning and every evening repeated uh, just because we we are touching you know throughout the world and time zones are different but to you we are so grateful you can also listen to every series if you've missed in this series and it is an ongoing series until Anna has uh, has you know touched every point as it was her, her uh, master's thesis was in this work. And so it is very well done. Um, and there are several points. How many points are there, Anna? We've covered two, introduction plus two. There are several points. I have mm -hmm. skipped a little bit around. Uh, there okay. was just, there were a few I wanted to highlight I thought might be helpful for the listening audience, but we'll see. Okay. <laughs> Yes, as it has been rich, 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 and so good for me. I'm being so blessed in it. Um, and I, I want to just keep hearing more and more because um, it really is life. It is Christian life, and it is a, a moment to stop and, and just think about 
how um, how to live it, really, how to grasp and to grab hold to the the hem of of his garment and let him just you know heal us and move us forward. So, uh, like I said, the the plate has been set. Anna, you have any last words? We'll be out. No, just that the the Lord deal merciful with us. God have mercy on us. I thank yes. you, Lord. That's what I leave us all with, that God's mercy is new every morning. Let's sing a song and praise to him and trust that he will keep us until his return. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we have from Light Touch, excellent expression of my heartfelt thought as relative to our recognition of our own weaknesses in the throes of this temptation. The presence of mind to see God's gift of discernment in the midst hallelujah amen and it rings right true sad state of affairs uh, our youth need a lot more uh, empathy and understanding less judgmental approach a great study uh, it is not of my own strength that i am able to resist the temptation only the holy spirit in me makes me able in in his strength working through and for my good. Amen. Like well, it says Reams. Jolly good night. <laughs> Everyone that slight touch is past her, her, her bedtime. And then Eigen Aduce Thorns entered the studio. Welcome to you. Agur, Agur. I'm not sure I am saying that correctly, but all are welcome. And really and truly, if you bring someone, this is an excellent time for a young person to invite a young person or an older person to invite a young person. This is good. If we begin our lives on these uh, words, on these principles, we live a better life. And if we fall or fail, we don't lose our minds because we understand that God forgives and he cleanses and he sets us in a right path because he is constantly preparing that table before us. And on that table are all of the uh, nourishment for the spirit so that we live more in line with that which is affirming to life and not that which takes it away or degrades it. With that, I am so grateful that Anna has come And Father, I ask that you would recompense her according as she is given out. Bless her family. I ask that you would rebuke the enemy and give us all discernment so that we are living in the spirit as you have called us to live. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ. And to all, I hope you will join us again next Wednesday in the live podcast at eight o'clock, you you know, Eastern Standard Time. For others, it is later, others earlier. And if you happen to not be able to come, please, the next two days, wherever you are, check your podcast for Rehoboth Institute of the Arts. This is Day by Day, series titled Day by Day, uh, The Artist as Witness. Thank you very much. Our discussion is with Miss Anna, 
and uh, she's doing an excellent, wonderful, whoa, thank you, Jesus, job. Okay, all of you have a great time. I do pray that you will come again. I'm looking forward to seeing you and hearing the next point in the series. Have a wonderful, wonderful day wherever you are in the world. Rest. Good night.